1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, big story number one. Let us get right to it. Other, first of all, I, I, I think it is absolutely ridiculous that we are now at a point where you have such dysfunction in the government that we are looking at another one of these quote-unquote shutdowns. Now, I'm going to use the air quotes for shutdown because it's really not a shutdown. The optics are, of course, bad. Um, and it doesn't reflect well, I guess, on Republicans that are in the majority, that the Republicans can't get their act together enough to at least keep the government open for a couple weeks. Having said that, let's make no mistake, if there is a government shutdown, it is so, it is exclusively on the Democrats in the U.S. Senate who are refusing to cooperate at all, who are willing to hold the government hostage over, you know, funding for immigration plans and things like that. And, and that's, that's absurd, and I hope if the government, I hope if there is a shutdown, and I know that there's not going to be any cooperation from this out of the mainstream media, but I hope every Republican senator and every Republican uh, member of the House of Representatives is taking to Twitter and screaming to anybody who will listen that this shutdown is on the Democrats for refusing to cooperate. I understand that you're going to have a couple maverick Republicans in the Senate. You've only got the 50 votes right now um, because there's one absence. You're going to have, you know, I understand that there is that that issue and the Republicans aren't going to vote as an entire block, but they're getting no Democratic support. And that's ridiculous. So I think there's bad optics. But but here's where I want to start off with, you know, the truth of the matter is at the end of the day, if the government, quote unquote, shuts down, it's not a big deal. And as a matter of fact, I think that moving forward, we need to change the dynamics on government shutdowns. Now, first of all, there there is always money to keep the government running. And so what happens is that vital services continue to be provided. Let me give you an example about, you know, for example, what would happen. Veterans Affairs, if there is a quote-unquote shutdown, 4% of the people who work in Veterans Affairs are furloughed. 13% of people who work in Homeland Security are furloughed. 17% who work of people who work at the Department of Justice are furloughed. Um, 78% of people who work at the Department of Agriculture are furloughed, but meat, poultry, and eggs will continue to be inspected. Um, Health and Human Services, 50% are furloughed. Transportation, 36% are furloughed. Um, Law enforcement assistants, uh, for example, air traffic controllers, they would stay on the job. I mean, so you go through this one after another, and you see that, well, really – Medicare checks are going to get Medicare is going to continue. Those payments are going to be processed. Social Security checks are going to continue to be processed. The the impact with the government furlough is that government employees go home and there is potentially and I say potentially an impact on the economy because theoretically they're not getting paid. So they don't spend money. That's where the biggest impact happens. The problem is that as with all government furloughs, when the workers come back, we pay them. We pay them for work that they did not do. So you have sometimes billions of dollars of cash going out for work that was not performed. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I think it's just, uh, again, beyond disappointing 
that you, you have Democrats in the U.S. Senate who have decided to put partisan politics ahead of the interest of the country in going along with a stopgap spending bill to keep the government open. That's number one. Number two, though, the bottom line is that if the government, quote unquote, shuts down, it's not going to affect our lives in any meaningful fashion. If other, if, if anything, it might demonstrate that we, we perhaps can get by with fewer federal workers. Now, I understand that there is going to be certain inconveniences. If you have applied for a new Social Security card, well, okay, that, that request isn't going to be processed while those workers are on furlough. So there will be certain inconveniences. I understand if you've got a trip planned to Washington and the shutdown goes on more than a couple days, they're going to close down the Smithsonian. So you're not going to be able to go to the Smithsonian during the during your visit, and that would be a bummer. I understand that. But from the perspective of major life-changing things, life will continue to go on. 414-799-1620. Should Republicans capitulate, agree to massive immigration spending or massive changes in the immigration law simply to keep the government open? My answer would be no. And I think if the government shuts down, the Republicans need to be aggressive in blaming who is responsible, which is the other side that is refusing to cooperate at all and trying to essentially extort the Republican majority and the president. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, this is disappointing, but if there is a shutdown, it's not going to be the end of the world. And I am sorry if you're waiting for that new replacement Social Security card and you got to wait an extra week or two. I'm, un- that's, I'm sorry, that's too bad, but... You know, it, it is, I guess, one of the prices that we pay. 414-799-1620. Candidly, if the government shuts down, I don't think it's going to be that big a deal. And I think it's going to be the fault of the Democrats. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1214. This is Jeff Wagner. 1217, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. First of all, okay, if the government shuts down, maybe the answer, maybe what should really be demonstrated is maybe we don't need as many federal workers as we have. But I understand that there might be some inconveniences that are there. If you've applied for a new Social Security card, you might have to wait a little bit longer for that. One of the keys and one of the questions is, if there is a government shutdown and then they get the money through two weeks from now, will you be paying all the federal employees for the work that they didn't do? If you really want to get pressure to get this thing done, make an announcement that you're not going to pay people when they come back, and then they'll be calling some of their Democratic representatives and saying, hey, you better knock this off. Tim in Fond du Lac. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. So do you think this is a Democrat's fault? Yes. Not the Republican? Yep. I do. Why should the de- Democrats just give the Republicans everything they want? Well, they're not giving them everything they want. We're talking about a temporary spending bill to keep the government open. So that's not giving them everything they want. You're talking about a two- or three-week extension. Lindsey Graham and Dick Durbin had a bipartisan deal, in which the president said he would sign, and then now he says he won't sign it. I don't think you can blame this all on the Democrats. Well, all I know is that you've got... No Democrat support in the House of Representatives for the continuing resolution to keep the government open. And you have no Democrats, apparently, in the U.S. Senate, at least so far, who appear willing to vote for something that would keep the government running. Tell me how that's not the Democrats' fault. 
how come how come the Republicans don't give up something? Well, not a single Democrat is going to vote for this, and you don't think that's their fault? Well, the Republicans are – right now it's just a continuing resolution to keep the government open. Uh, what Paul Ryan is saying is, okay, if you want to talk about immigration, let's talk about immigration as a standalone. The Democrats are trying to hold the government hostage in order to get their uh, Dreamers Act full through. Immigration has nothing to do with the budget. Well, uh, abortion is an I- have anything to do with the tax plan but they they put that in there yeah so you don't you don't think there's no democrat fault at all that none of them will vote for I, the continuing I, resolution i i think it's i think it's both their fault that they can't work together i think it's ridiculous well, well i agree i think ctm there i agree with you i think it is i think it is ridiculous that you have in this case the democrats who are emboldened because they look at the polls and they also are relying on the mainstream media and the way they will spin the coverage of the shutdown to blame president trump and blame the republicans now as i said in the beginning i think it is unfortunate that you have two or three republican senators who won't go along with this maybe even a couple more who won't go along with this because of their ideological you know ideas but there's no democratic support at all for keeping the government open well maybe there 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 should be some pain and maybe if that pain was you said that the federal employees weren't going to get paid for their furlough days maybe at that point in time like i say maybe some of the federal employees instead of saying hey this is great shut down the government and we get two weeks of pay vacation on top of what you already get maybe then they'd start calling the nancy pelosi's of the world or the chuck schumers of the world and saying wait a second you mean we're not going to get paid you better figure out a way to keep the government open 414-799-1620 let's talk to ned in new berlin ned good afternoon good afternoon what do you think uh okay what i think is so why is blaming a, uh, on a Democrat? It's a clearly Republican fault. They should vote. Paul Ryan is not able to get Congress to vote on his side. And well, Paul Ryan, no, wait a second. Paul Ryan, the House of Representatives, passed a bill that would keep the government open with no Democratic support. But Ryan has done his job. It's now sitting in the U.S. Senate. There are a couple Finally, U.S. senators. Finally, this time. But how about replacing Obamacare? How about uh, anything else? Oh. And then Mitch, Mitch McConnell. He should have a Senate vote on his side. Every of them. They control everything. They should put a bill without Democrats. That's the reason you control the vote. I, well, uh, Ned, look, I it, look, I, I look, Ned. I mean, first of all, I want to I want to keep our focus on on the 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 bill that we're talking about to keep the government operating. Okay, that that's the focus here. Um, Paul Ryan was able to deliver. Republicans in the House of Representatives voted. It is now sitting in the Senate. Now, Mitch McConnell, and I, I, I'm actually nowhere near as critical as Mitch McConnell as some people. It, it's when you have essentially no majority. There's 51 Republican senators. So if you've got 51, it's kind of like herding cats. That means if you lose one or two for whatever reason, and you've got... Guys like Rand Paul, who are kind of off in their own world, and John McCain, who does kind of what he wants to do. And you've got a couple of the more liberal Republicans, like Olympia Snow and um, the senator out of Alaska. You know, it, it's 
when you get to a point where you've got no working margin at all, yeah, you can blame McConnell, but you know what's he supposed to do when you've got this kind of divergency? The fact of the matter is, you've got no Democratic support, none at all, for keeping for keeping the government open and voting for a continuing resolution. And yes, I I blame the Democrats for that. Do you mean to, and and of course I think what they are figuring is they're doing the political calculations thinking they're not going to have any risk. This is going to be blamed on Trump. This is going to be blamed on the Republicans in the Senate. This is going to be blamed on, you know, the Republicans in the House. It will be the Republicans that own it and that's the way the mainstream media has always spun it. Like I say, if this in fact happens, First of all, this time around, President Trump is saying they're going to do everything they can to try to minimize the pain, unlike what happened in 2013 when Barack Obama did everything he possibly could to make the shutdown hurt as many Americans as possible to score political points. So that's number one. But number two, I think the Republicans need to be aggressive about this and say, look, we passed at least a continuing spending resolution. And you know, we didn't want to tie it up with the immigration issue, which is a much more complex one. But we were willing to keep people working. We were willing to keep people on the job. And we got no support at all. No support at all. Let's talk to Greg in Milwaukee. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Greg. My name's Greg, a retired military, but also worked 33 years in the private sector, manufacturing in Milwaukee. Yes, sir. And uh, all I got to say is work in private sector manufacturing during a recession. I'm an engineer, the salary people. We got pay freezes, then pay cuts, then rotating uh, rotating uh, furloughs without pay. And I think some of these federal workers need to find out what private sector's like, like food service. Yeah. Well, I mean, see, and, and, and that's the thing. We talk about government shutdowns. But from the perspective of the people who are furloughed, they know it's like a paid vacation because every time we've okay, so you have the if it's a week or two weeks or whatever, they get all their money back, and so they're like, hey, you know, this is great. I get a furlough, and I'm going to get the paid vacation. You know, if if we weren't paying people for work that they didn't do, there would certainly be be a lot more pressure on some of these legislators who don't feel an obligation to come to a deal who are, or who are willing to hold the process, process hostage. Yeah, find out what the private sector, you know, I mean, is the Ghostbusters. When the Ghostbusters were uh, saying, getting kicked out of their university, it says, gee, we'll have to get a uh, a job in a private sector, they expect performance. Yeah, well, they or I mean, you, you, that, look, in the private sector, let, let's stick with let, let's even let's compare apples to apples. In the private sector, if for whatever reason there is a furlough of of workers, you know, you have something that the the company it just craters or whatever, and they have to furlough workers for a short period of time. They're not going to pay you for work that you didn't do. That is one of the exceptions that happens here. Look, I don't want to see the government shut down. I think it is outrageous and an example of the dysfunction you have that you have politicians. And in this case, I am blaming the Democrats and a couple members of the Republicans in the state Senate in the U.S. Senate. But I'm blaming the Democrats. No support at all for trying to keep the government open. They want to impose as much pain as possible 
on the American people simply because, hey, we want to use this as we think that Trump is down in the polls. We think we've got winning issues and we know our buddies in the mainstream media will blame the Republicans on this. Let's start naming names and calling things out. And again, I think if you want to stop some of this foolishness, and I think it's disappointing that you can't get a budget. I I mean, that is a frustration to me. I, I get all that. But if you want to stop this foolishness on the shutdowns, what you do is you start to say, again, we're not going to pay the people for time they missed. And then all of a sudden, I guarantee you, you are going to have tens of thousands of federal employees who will be calling up their representative or their senator and saying, hey, get your act together if they're really going to lose money. It's 1010. It's 1226. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Big story number two is coming up. Scott Walker jumps into the breach. Stick around. 1234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is big story number two. Let me back into this. It's, I call it the Costco effect. Here's the story. I I never belonged to Costco until I got married a couple months ago. My wife, the lovely Fran, is, just swears by Costco, does all sorts of shopping at Costco, and now I have become sort of born again hard when it comes to going there. I love going over to Costco. You wander around there, and you know, I, it's just, it's amazing the kind of stuff that you could find. We found shelving units for our new house, and um, she'll go off and look for things, and just, I'll, I'll go wander through the grocery thing. And they have all this. You ever been, uh, Gru, who's producing the show today, you ever been to Costco? You, you have never been to Costco? Oh my gosh, you, you gotta go. I'm telling you, you know, you, you go over there on a Saturday, you don't need to eat for two days. I mean, just walk through the food aisle. Every corner, they've got somebody there that's giving out free food and stuff. Here, here, and it's, and it's actually, it's not bad free food. You know, the liquor, you go through the liquor department and, it doesn't have the necessary. It doesn't necessarily have the breadth of selection that you you have at like good liquor stores. But you know if if there, there's always some staples there. And for example, if you happen to like Jameson's Irish whiskey, they got Jameson's Irish whiskey there. Do they give? He says, do they give out samples there too? Oh, that you'd be really signed up. You know, and I mean again, it's it's it, it's it's fun. I've been going to Costco more and more. But here's the catch: you can't get into Costco unless you have a photo ID card. And I can't use my wife's photo ID card. So what we had to have, now, she's got the membership, so I could bootstrap onto that membership, but what had to happen is we had to go to the registration thing, and they looked up her account, and she said, this is my husband, and then I've got my own Costco card, and it's got my own little picture on it, so I can now go to Costco and I can shop even if I am not with my wife which beats the way I used to do it because my best friend, Evan, he belonged to Costco, and I would go with him sometimes, and I'm probably not supposed to say this, but he would buy some stuff for me, you know, and he'd use his account. But but the bottom line is I, I've got my own Costco card to, to use this. Now, why am I talking about Costco when I said I was going to be talking about Governor Walker? Well, Governor Walker yesterday called for, and matter of fact, we're going to be joined by the governor of the state of Wisconsin Monday afternoon, 1235. We're going to be talking about um, a, a number of things. He's got his state of the state address coming up Wednesday, but 1235 on Monday. We're scheduled to talk to the governor about a wide variety of things. But anyhow, he comes out yesterday, and he wants a special session of the legislature to deal with welfare reform types of issues. Um, there are some that are controversial he again he's talking about expanding the work requirement for for food stamps similar to what they're looking at doing for for medicaid the idea being if you are able-bodied and you are getting food stamps um and you have 
school-age children or no children. So you get school-age children, they're at school during the day. You have to either, you know, work for 30 hours a week or you have to be enrolled in some sort of job training. And, and we've talked about that premise before, and it's something that I, I agree with. If you're going to get people off of the dole, if you're going to get people off of welfare dependency, the only way you do that is by getting people to work. And, you know, if people need training to help get job skills, to get the job, that that's fine. But this idea that you can have extended periods of dependency, well, all right, no, that that's a no-go. So, I mean, I have no problem at all with able-bodied people either having to work or, again, um, being in some sort of job training program. Because the truth of the matter is there, there's lots of jobs that are out there for people to do. Now, it might be inconvenient for some people to work. Some people don't like the work, um, but I, I have no problem with that. But there, there's a couple other proposals that he has, and there's one that I found to be particularly interesting. The food stamp program, and it's the EBT cards. You know, that's what we're talking about when we say food stamps. It is just riddled, riddled with problems. It's riddled with problems. You know, we have the stories of people, you know, who go on the food stamp programs and they use the food stamp programs to buy tons of soda and lobster and steaks. And if you even try to roll that back, people become absolutely outraged. Oh, you're discriminating against the poor. How dare you tell them that they shouldn't be able to buy, you know, all the Mountain Dew that they want on the food stamp program. And I don't even want to talk about that because I know some agree with me and some don't agree with me. One of the problems, though, with the the whole idea of riddled with fraud is what happens all too often is people who get these EBT cards, they sell them for pennies on the dollar and use the money that they get to buy other stuff. Gee, I, I can't buy cigarettes. I can't buy beer with the EBT card. So you find people who will say, "Okay, I tell you, you got $212 on the EBT card. I'll give you 100 bucks." Um, and then you can go and spend it on whatever you want. And there is very, very little that we can do to track that down. Here's one of the proposals that the governor wants to see implemented. And other states are starting to do this as well. The EBT cards right now, the food stamp cards, do not have photos on them. They don't. So here's one of the proposals. He wants Wisconsin to put together a plan for the U.S. Department of Agriculture to approve. The feds would have to sign off on this, but the plan would put photos on cards that food stamp recipients have to use to purchase groceries. So in other words, you would have to have a photo ID to use the card. Now, let me stop you there for a second, because you, you might say to me, well, Jeff, how would that work? Because... On any given card, there might be multiple people who would be entitled to access it. Um, you know, if, if could you get them for the family? So, if you and your wife were on food stamps, and the card comes, you know, in your name, you know, would you would you deny her from being able to go shopping and use the card? Well, no, because there's two answers to that. Either you issue a separate picture ID to each person who is an authorized un- user, a la Costco. I mean, I, I I can't use my wife's card, but I have my own. I've got my own Costco card. Or, or the other alternative would be that for each of the authorized users, husband and wife, for example, you put both their photos on the EBT card. 
you know, so then at least there would be some check that is out there. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I want to talk specifically about this aspect of the food stamp reform idea. Picture ID cards on the actual food stamp cards. Anybody, in order to use the food stamp card, would have to have a photo ID. And again, I don't know if you solve it by putting multiple pictures on one card or whether you and, and then everybody has a copy of it or whether you do what they do at Costco. Like I say, and everybody in the family is authorized to use it, has their own card, but it's got the picture ID. Is this discriminatory? Is this too much of a problem or is this something that simply makes sense? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is one of the smaller aspects of the welfare reform he's talking about, but I think this is a no-brainer. Now, will it stop all sorts of welfare fraud? Well, no, because, you know, it depends on, you know, how closely this is enforced. But the truth of the matter is, if I am a 58-year-old white guy, who is using this food stamp card, who, to whom it is issued, and all of a sudden you have a 20-year-old African-American woman who shows up with that card, well, okay, you, you know it doesn't belong to them. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is a big story number two. One of the proposals that Governor Walker's having with regard to welfare reform that's not getting a lot of attention is to work with the federal government to put people's photos on their, their EBT cards, the food stamp cards. Right now, they don't have it. And again, I, the, mul- multiple pe- the argument has always been, well, multiple people in a family are authorized to use it, so then pictures wouldn't work. To which I say, do what Costco does. You know, issue a different EBT card for with a photo ID for each person that's authorized to use it. Or put all the photos on one card. I don't care how you do it. It doesn't seem like it's rocket science to me. Will it completely stop food stamp fraud? No. But I, I think... Number one, it will reduce it. And number two, it will make it easier to prosecute, for example, vendors who look the other way now. 414-799-1620. Mitch sends me a text. Trying to ensure that a card is used by appropriate users for appropriate purchases somehow seems appropriate. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Peter in Kenosha. Peter, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Peter. Uh, I love the I, I love the idea. It's uh. It sounds like it's attacking kind of the root of the problem that, that we have with the fraud that might be going on. Not that we're not thinking there are times where people might need a little assistance, but anything we can do to get the fraud out of there. Right, exactly. I'm yeah. wondering, yeah, is, if this might also provide an opportunity to attack the voter ID problem at the same time and have voter registration be also acceptable as part of this program. You mean like you know, uh, add an ID. EBT card to the list of acceptable um, things that you could use as a photo ID to vote? That's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And then you could kind of, I mean, that would cut down a little on the bureaucracy if having to issue the cards and the photo ID cards, which I know uh, there are some that feel like having the photo ID requirement for voting is oppressive, that maybe putting these two things together, you could get more universal support. Um, yeah, I, right. I think that's right. And I, I guess I have, I'd have to think that through, but I don't think I have any problem as long as there, I mean, as long as it's a response, it's as long as it's a government issued ID. I, I don't know. I guess I ought, at least without my initial reaction is, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with that if, if we're, we're doing it. And look, and I understand I'm getting a number of texts saying, 
This isn't going to eliminate fraud. Well, I don't know that there's any magic bullet that eliminates fraud. But at the same time, isn't this a positive step forward? Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jim. Hi, Vincent. I think it's, this this is overdue. I think it's about time that they're starting to put, hopefully, putting uh, photos on these uh, Quest cards. I think it's absolutely ridiculous that these things are passed off from people from from to other individuals who go out and spend these things. And I also think they should have uh, a limit on the number of replacement cards that they yeah. have per year, because I think it's outrageous the amount of uh, 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 cards that they can get. And, and, and continue to give them off to other folks. Well, yeah, you, you raise an interesting point with the whole idea of the, the replacement cards because that's one of the big things that happens, too. You you sell your card to somebody else, and then you just say you lost it, and then yeah. you do it. <laughs> then two months later, you've lost the same card. Yeah, after a while, you're right. There, there should be a red flag about this, and maybe you say, okay, after three or four times, you know, we're just not going to replace it for a while. That's it. That's it. So, so yeah, it's a good first step to put photos on them. Uh, you know, and like you say, it's not going to completely uh, get rid of the fraud, but I'm, I'm saying that the fact is this will cut down on some. So it's a great, great Right, thing. yeah, exactly. Right. It, it doesn't eliminate it all. I, I, I understand it, it's not going to eliminate it all. Scott in Rockford. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. What do you think of this? Uh, in theory, it's great. Uh, I think the biggest problem is going to be the enforcement. And uh, like I said to your screener, uh, it, it, it depends on the shop owners, right. which from what I understand are sometimes in large parts. Uh, contributing to the problem mm-hmm. because they'll they'll just pay cash for the card right there or take the money from the card and give them give them the booze or the cigarettes or whatever it is they shouldn't be selling. Right, or, or your point that um, if if the car if the if the shop owner wants the dough, um, they they might just look the other way. And even though it's a picture of a sixty year old African American woman and it's an eighteen year old white kid that shows up, if the card owner if the if the merchant just doesn't care and looks the other way, it's not going to work. That's your point. Right. Right, and and the second part is, and just like I said to your screener, it's just like a credit card. When was the last time you went to a a, a grocery store or a restaurant, and the waiter or waitress or whoever actually looked to see that your signature matched what was on the card? I've 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 played the game where I put CID on the back of my credit card. I'd say maybe twenty percent of the time the. The, the vendor would actually check to see if it was actually me. And, and see, Scott, I, I am sensitive to to what you're just saying, but but let me give you a but on this. At, at, sure. at the very least, it would then give you an ability, just like immigration right now is starting to crack down on employers who look the other way by, when, who, when, when the employers hire the, the people who are in this country illegally. If you had that requirement and you had, for example, a uh, you know, a reason to believe that you had a particular vendor, the, the liquor store owner or the grocery store owner, that was continually looking the other way. At least I think it would make it easier then to prosecute it because you could go back and you could say, okay, you know, wait a second, let's go back and look at those security camera things or let's go back and look at these transactions. And you could you could at least confront the, the cashier or the owner saying, this is the person that was in front of you. This is what the photo ID showed. It, I just think it might make it easier to catch some of the unscrupulous operators. I'll agree with you, and if it's one step closer to getting in the right direction, then then I'm with you. Okay, thanks. And, and I guess that's my only point. And again, I I understand it, it's only so good as as the system. And again, if you've got the, the guy that that runs the kind of fly by night grocery store who doesn't care about that and just wants the revenue or is in on it and is getting a little bit of a kickback, it, it's right. It, you're not going to stop them from doing that. 
I do think, though, it might make it a little bit easier to prosecute because, see, now, you know, somebody can come in and they can use the EBT card and the 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 merchant, even if the merchant's in on it, the merchant can say, well, I didn't know about this. I mean, I, I how do I know who Jeff Wagner is or what Jeff Wagner looks like? Um, I, I just don't know. Or I thought, you know, even though it's like a 20-year-old woman, I thought maybe this was somebody that was authorized to use it under the Jeff Wagner account. Well, okay, now... You'd have the photos of the people who are authorized to use it on either one card or they'd each have their own card. And again, I, I like, uh, you know, maybe maybe you use this for voter registration. Um, Jay in Brownsville. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think? Hi. I, uh, I, um, I, my only concern is that I have uh, home care help that comes in mm-hmm. twice a week and she does my shopping for me with right and sure she, use, she uses my card so mm-hmm. uh, how you know how is that going to work well i guess um thanks to culture i mean i guess there's there, there's a number of ways you could deal with with that um and and maybe i would leave it to smarter minds than me to figure out all the nuances first of all just let me say that's that's a very, very, very small percentage of what we're, we're talking about. So, I mean, I understand there's always going to be exceptions. I guess the, off the top of my head, Jake, my initial thought would be, okay, I'll allow the authorized caregiver who is entitled to use your card, get her a card giving her access to your account or him access to the account. If, if you've got this caregiver that comes in and does that and they're an authorized user, I don't really see that any different than the, you know, the husband who's on the wife's account or, or vice versa. You know, they, they just need a picture ID. And again, I think that's going to, my sense is that's going to happen extremely rarely, but, you know, have them as an authorized user. I would say the same thing to, for example, people who are in, let's say, nursing homes, you know, who whose daughter or son does the shopping for them. Well, okay, just uh, allow that daughter or son to be the authorized user as well. They get their own card or their picture is on, you know, mom or dad's account. I See, I, I think there's that's going to be a small percentage of the type of things we're talking about, but you could figure out a way to work that out as well. I guess I just think, you know, sometimes Sometimes we get paralyzed by not by it's like, well, you know, we we can't make this change because it's going to inconvenience somebody or it's going to be difficult. Well, to me, this is kind of a simple change. And again, you need photo IDs to do almost anything. I did two things yesterday and I had to pull out, you know, my photo ID to prove who I was. And, And it's just it's the way it works. I think the governor might be on to something. All right, coming up next, big story number three, controversy in Racine over a police department action. We'll discuss. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, during the 12 o'clock hour of the program yesterday, I had a chance to sit down and have a lengthy conversation with a guy named Mike Haas. He is a was a, an attorney. Um, one of the councils for the discredited government accountability board. It was the government accountability board um, together with a special prosecutor and some, in my opinion, politically motivated district attorneys who conducted the several year long failed John Doe investigation. What happened is the legislature then did away with the government accountability board and they split the government accountability board's functions into really two separate boards, state elections board, State Elections Commission and a state ethics commission. Now, one of the problems is a lot of the people who were involved, or at least some of the people who were involved in the John Doe investigation, they just sort of migrated to one of these boards or the other. 
both the interim administrators of the Ethics Board and of the Elections Board are up for Senate confirmation, and a number of Republican senators, led by uh, Senator Scott Fitzgerald, who is the majority leader, have said, you know, we, 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 it doesn't make any sense to us to confirm people who were at the Government Accountability Board during these very, very dark Days now for his part, Mike Haas, who's the elections state elections commission administrator, he says, "Yes, I, I was at the government accountability board while the John Doe thing was going on, but I really I, I was not directly involved in that. I reviewed some briefs, but pretty much, you know, that was it. And now I, I'm doing elections. I, we're not going to be doing these type of investigations moving forward. And by the way, I was the guy that was the interim administrator when we had to do that recount after the November elections, and I think I did a pretty good job. He also makes the point of saying, yes, okay, even if you believe that there were excesses in the Government Accountability Board's investigation, it, it's not fair to blame it on me. And the example he said is, hey, Jeff, if the, if the um, morning show stuff that showed us stuff that's really bad and you have nothing to do with it or little stuff to do with it, is it fair to hold you responsible? And, and you know, we had an interesting and I think somewhat heated conversation about you know different things and, and different aspects of this. So I, I didn't want to rush to judgment. And I've really been thinking about that. And what would I do with Mike Haas if I was, if I was a state senator? Would I vote to confirm him? And I will tell you, my answer is no. I, I would not. And, I, and I'll explain. I will explain why. It is very troubling to me that he refuses to acknowledge that the climate at the Government Accountability Board, where he was a staff counsel, was one of extreme partisanship that led to just such bad judgment that ended up, quite candidly, violating a number of of individuals' constitutional rights in a fashion that I think was cavalier at best and illegal at, at worst. We'll let other people sort that out. The guy who is running the Ethics Commission, as a matter of fact, he said, hey, that's why I left the Government Accountability Board. It was so partisan. It was so hostilely partisan. The Government Accountability Board was so out of control that you had this climate that existed. And he said, yeah, that's one of the reasons I I left and moved to another agency. Mike Haas is unwilling to acknowledge that. He says, no, I, I disagree with him. I disagree with the Attorney General's report. I, I Essentially, he's taking the position that, well, mistakes might have been made, but there's nothing to see here. Well, that seriously makes me question the, the guy's judgment in such an extreme way that I would not vote to confirm him. Let me give you the example, for example, that he used with me. He said, okay, Jeff, let's say there's horrible stuff going on for the sake of argument. Now, he won't even acknowledge that, that investigation was out of control, off the rails. He seems to be of the position that, well, okay, maybe a mistake was made here or there, but that, that's just hindsight. No, that's not hindsight. I'm telling you from the perspective of an experienced prosecutor, what happened in that John Doe investigation was nothing short of appalling. And anybody involved in that, directly or indirectly, at the very least, should be willing to acknowledge more than simply, well, in hindsight, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done this or maybe we could have done it in a better way. This was an embarrassment in a very dark time in Wisconsin history where I, I think the attorney general's report is absolutely correct. The Government Accountability Board was weaponized to go after conservatives and nobody, nobody seemed to think that it was appropriate to rein that in. So, all right, let's use the example. Jeff, let's say that, you know, is it fair to hold you responsible for 
awful stuff that the morning show did. Well, here's how I would answer that. Let us assume that this is, this is, it's, it's easy to talk about this because Gene and Jane would never do horrible stuff. But let's assume that Gene and Jane were doing horrible things on Wisconsin's morning news that was putting the station's license in jeopardy and unfairly you know, defaming people or, or that. And it went on for months and months and months and months. And I was doing my show. And I knew it was going on, and I felt strongly about it. Yes, I, I do think that at some point in time, I would have spoken up. I would have gone into management, and I would have said, look, I think what we're doing here is absolutely wrong. I would have spoken up uh, against it. And certainly, certainly after the fact, after it all blows up and goes to you know where, I wouldn't be defending that. Because if I was, I think it would reflect on my judgment. So, yeah, if... That all is going on, and then two years later, I'm applying to be the general manager at WTMJ or somewhere else. Can you imagine me being a general manager at a radio station? Grill, he just smiles at me, my producer. But I think it would be fair to me to say, hey, Jeff, you were at WTMJ when all these problems were there involving the morning show and all this stuff and people's rights were being violated and all that. If you were applying for that job, I think I would be perf- it would be perfectly fair for some management to say, what were you doing while you were there? And if I said, well, I don't think there was any problem, or I kind of sat by, yes, I think that would reflect on my judgment, and yes, I think that that could be used against me. And that's the same thing that this Mike Haas is doing. Nothing to see here. I wasn't directly involved. I reviewed some briefs and stuff, but I didn't see any partisanship. Yes, the guy who was trampling on the constitutional rights of Wisconsin citizens, well, yes, he might have been a little bit tenacious. He wasn't tenacious. This was an out-of-control agency run amok. And the fact that you have somebody who was there at the time who is unwilling to acknowledge that and condemn it, yes, I would not confirm him. Now, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I I think – the Republicans that are supporting him on the elections board really should be rethinking that. But if the state Senate says no to him, well, he's got nobody but himself to blame. And like I say, it's interesting because his counterpart, who came from GAB, who's on the Ethics Commission, he, he's out there saying, yeah, that's one of the reasons I had to leave because it was so bad and the climate was so bad. Mike Haas, oh, nothing to see here. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, Mike Haas's background is as it, he worked for Tom Loftus, who was this Democratic Speaker of the Assembly. He ran as a Democrat for office a couple times before he went to law school. I, I don't I just I get this impression that this idea of nothing to see here, not my problem. No, I'm sorry. I, I don't buy that. His unwillingness to acknowledge that really bad things were happening and his continued defense of an agency that just doesn't deserve def- being defended. Matter of fact, a lot of people involved in that investigation, in my opinion, just like rec- rec- just like being recommended by the attorney general's office, deserve to have their law licenses pulled and, and maybe even greater sanctions. And the fact that Haas doesn't see anything wrong tells me he is not fit to continue in his present role. I would vote no on confirmation, and that's the best explanation I can give. All right, big story number three is coming up. Controversy in Racine. Stick around. It's 117. This is Jeff Wagner. 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of our texters asked the question that a lot of people asked. Why weren't these people who were responsible for this awful witch hunt charged with misconduct in public office? Well, the answer is that... 
people who are involved as prosecutors, etc., have great leeway with regard to, you know, their ability to conduct investigations. And again, even though they're failed investigations, even though they proceed on flimsy theories, a misconduct in public office um, is very, very difficult to prove. And I don't think that there was necessarily crimes committed here, but I think there was incredibly bad judgment that was used up and down the line. And I think the people involved in that John Doe investigation have no business at all in government service, or at least most of them moving forward. And for some who I think you know were involved in activities like they're still trying to figure out who leaked confidential documents to the Guardian newspaper in an effect to in an effort to try to pressure the Supreme Court into making a certain decision. Um, for those people, the people involved in the leak, and I think everybody has a pretty good idea of who it was, but they just have problems trying to prove it. Um, that might be a situation where somebody should probably go to jail, but not sure they're ever going to get to the bottom of it. Okay, big story number three. Family members are unhappy and want answers in connection with something that happened in Racine uh, the other day. Here is here's the story. Um, about 4 p.m. Wednesday afternoon, Racine police officers, there were two Racine officers conducting a traffic stop near 14th and Villa. So the, the vehicle, from what I understand, didn't have a front license plate. So the, they go to stop the vehicle. Gru, did you know you have to have a front license plate in Wisconsin? You did. Yeah, see, some states, don't. you don't have to. But in Wisconsin, you have to have a front license plate. You have to have one on your front and the back. So anyhow, the cops put on the bubble lights, and they, they try to pull over the car. The car pulls over, at which point in time the driver of the car gets out and starts running. All right, so I mean, I'm trying to put myself in the picture position of these two cops. Oh, my. You know, we pull over this car, and now somebody's running. Okay, well... You know, there's always a reason why somebody runs, and it's it's never a good reason. So anyhow, they get out, and then they start chasing the person who was running. The officers say that the guy who is running from them um, brandishes a firearm. So the guy gets out of the car with a gun and starts running. The police statement is that the operator of the vehicle fled the vehicle ended up in the 1400 block of Park Avenue, our officers followed in pursuit. The officers chased him into the yard of one of the homes. He presented with a gun and aimed it at the officers. The officers fired upon him, and he was struck multiple times. The suspect um, died while he's being transported to the hospital. These were not rookie cops. The officers involved were a 15-year and 16-year veteran of the force. So here you have it. You pull over somebody for what should be a routine traffic stop. The guy gets out. He books. They have to chase him. He's got a gun, and he turns around, and their story is that he, he pointed the gun at at the officers, and they they fired. Okay, that's it. There's no. They did not have body cameras on them, and they were driving. Um, and and apparently, there's no dashboard camera, from what I understand. But people are I- investigating this. Well, okay, this is always an unfortunate situation. Um, the man who was killed in the officer-involved shooting was a guy named Dante Shannon. He's 26 years old. Um, Minor criminal record, possession of pot, and I think a bail-jumping thing, obstructing an officer. I, I don't think there's like a lengthy criminal record, but, you know, stuff. 
Um, don't know if it was a felony conviction for possession of marijuana on obstructing or, or not. So I don't know if he was legally allowed to possess a gun, but apparently by all accounts, he had a gun and he pointed it at the officers. So this is now, now you're going to, the Department of Justice is investigating it. You're going to have to determine, you know, whether this is a legitimate shooting or not. But here's the interesting thing. Um, protesters gathered yesterday at the scene of the fatal officer involved shooting. I guess I was kind of curious, protesters. Okay, who, now who's, all right, you got a guy that gets out of the car, runs from the cops, he's got a gun, he turns around, and then he gets shot. O- okay, show, turns out. Well, okay, right now, just on the surface, what is there to protest about? And, and interestingly enough, it doesn't appear that anybody is denying that the guy had a gun and that pointed it at officers. The controversy is that the officers fired multiple times. One of the witnesses said he heard three rounds of gunfire, each about a second apart. He estimated it was a total of at least a a dozen shots. If all the gunfire didn't come, this is now one of the stories from one of the TV stations, that one of the witnesses says, if all the gunfire did not come from the suspect who is deceased, I feel the situation should be looked into a little better. And somebody has some explaining as to why so many gunshots had to be fired. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I have to admit, stories like this make me want to scream. It is very unfortunate that this young man lost his life. There's no question about it. And no police officer in the world wakes up and says, gee, I hope today is the day I get to shoot, I get to chase an armed suspect and get into a gun battle. That said, this notion that... What difference does it make if there's three shots or six shots or eight shots or ten shots? If the facts are you got an armed guy who is fleeing from police who turns and either shoots at the officers or points the gun at him, the officers are trained to return fire. And if this is a matter of, yes, both officers fired and emptied their service revolvers. Let's say they got six-shot revolvers. I would not be surprised if in a situation like this, officers who are taught to shoot until the threat is eliminated doesn't make any difference. This isn't the movies where you fire one shot and you try to wing somebody. If they think somebody is getting ready to shoot them or has fired at them, and I don't know if he shot or not, the story is he, he pointed the gun at them and they fired. I would expect them to fire multiple rounds, and I guess I don't see what the difference is in the space of a second or two, whether they fired three shots or six shots, or they each fired three shots or six shots. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 128. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, coming up in 10 minutes. So why didn't Milwaukee get Amazon second headquarters? And then in about 25 minutes or so, get that duck off my plane. But right now we're talking about this horrible situation out on the scene Wednesday afternoon. If you're just tuning in, turns out a 26 or 27-year-old man gets pulled over by Racine police, two veterans of the police force, um, for a traffic violation. He stops the car, gets out of the car, and runs. He's carrying a gun. Um, the chase ensues. It's about a block. The guy turns and confronts the police officers. We don't know if he fired at them or not, but they fired a- at him. 
I think everybody pretty much says, yes, he was brandishing a, a gun. Um, there were a couple volleys of shots within like a second or two of each other. So it's not like you had shot. That's what witnesses are saying. It's not like there's shots fired and then there's 30 seconds. I mean, there, and again, I don't know if it's an exchange of gunfire or the, the police are, if, if, are shooting. They estimate somewhere between 10, 12, 14 shots total were, were fired. And now there's all these protesters saying, well, we want to know why so many shots were fired. Well, I think I know the answer. Sue in Plymouth. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. What do you think? Um, I think it's a legitimate question because when police are going through training, and I, I don't know how frequently their uh, firearm training is supposed to occur, but they're so supposed to be trained to be able to concentrate into a certain area on suspects so that they can put them down as quickly as possible. So if there are multiple shots that are fired, you you know want to investigate and make sure that their training is up to date. Because if they aren't trained properly and aren't in a confined area of targets, then innocent bystanders could be hit. Well, y- yes, but at the same time, every every training course that I have ever been to involved in law enforcement is that officers are taught to shoot until you end the, the, the threat. And uh, I guess the idea of somebody either shooting at you or pointing a gun at you, in most cases, the, the officer is not going to just fire one shot. They are going to fire multiple shots quickly in an effort to, uh, again, end the threat, aren't they? Um, yes, but multiple shots being three shots, multiple shots being ten shots, you want an officer well-trained so that their shots can be minimal, not a lot. Well, you want them to be able to handle the stress of the moment, not have to fire additional shots if it's not necessary. Well, so again, asking I get... the question if their training was up to date and that they were well trained and that they had um, acceptable um, target areas that they were hitting, um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with asking those questions. And to my knowledge, that's all that's being done. Well, the you protesters know? are there. Well, hang on. So, I mean, the, the protesters are out there saying, you know, why were there multiple shots that are being fired? This isn't about training. This is about was this excessive? I guess my point is I would not be surprised. And, and th- this isn't a deal where they're like I say, there was a 30 second gap. I mean, this is the officers are confronted. The witnesses say these gunshots all came within a second or two of each other. I mean, I have a feeling I know what happened. I, I mean, again, I don't know whether the the person who was shot fired on the officers or not, but he apparently pointed the gun. And my guess is they both discharged their weapon. They shot multiple times over the course of a couple seconds, maybe one or two seconds. They probably emptied their rounds in an effort to put down the person who had either shot at them or had pointed a gun at them. And I don't go, I guess I don't I don't have a problem with police officers doing that. Let's talk to um, Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. What do you think? Clearly, Sue has probably never shot a gun and likely definitely not in a high-stress situation. I commend these police officers. Frankly, the, the person brandished a gun, pointed at police officers. I hate to say it, he deserved to die. Don't point an officer at 
don't point a gun at the guys in blue. They're trained to take you out if you do that, and that's well, all they did. Well, well, exactly. Now, this isn't a deal where I, there's not enough shots fired, where it, it's not like the, the officers reloaded once or twice. I mean, this was, fr- from what all the witness accounts are, this is an exchange of shots that took one or two seconds. And again, I don't, I don't, I don't know if the bad guy fired on him or not, but he had certainly pointed the gun. But it, it's, okay, so they, they fire quickly in an effort to put down the person i mean if you're if you're threatened and you need to the question to me is do you need to use deadly force and i think the answer is pretty clear if somebody after a foot chase turns and either shoots at you or points a gun at you i can't what are you supposed to do sit around and wait till you get shot or or try to be like the old cowboy movies where you try to wing them no you you shoot to try to put the person down that's that's why you shouldn't run from and or shoot at police Exactly, and the reality of it is, is by while while his death is tragic, by is. them taking him out, they likely saved lives. If he was that quick to pull a gun on the cops, he was carrying it for a reason. He was probably going to use it on someone else. Yeah, I, I think so. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, that that's that that's one of the that's one of the problems that comes with modern policing nowadays is that you have so many people who decide to run from the police. I don't know why this guy decided to run from the police. I mean, like I say, I don't, I can't tell from what they're, he doesn't have a, it doesn't seem to be a serious criminal record. I don't know why he got, I don't know why he had the gun. I don't know why he decided to run. I don't know what motivated him to do that. But this is the problem that happens all the time, unfortunately, nowadays, where people flee from the police and bad stuff happens. I mean, you had the thing in Mount Pleasant the other day where you have the, Guy who the seventeen-year-old who shouldn't have been out on bail, who decides he's going to run from the police. He drives like a bat out of you know what through a shopping center and ends up hitting and almost killing two people, um, and then runs away from the police. You know, it, it's just so frustrating that this type of stuff happens. And again, I, I more information. You know, we'll wait till it comes out. I don't. And of course, obviously, you want to investigate it. But why is the first reaction to show up and protest? I, I mean, you know. There's no evidence at all, at least right now, that there was any misconduct on the part of the police. And so the first thing that you have happen is a bunch of people, you know, show up and here, you know, we're demanding justice or or whatever. It is unfortunate that this man lost his life, okay? But as I say often, there's no police officer in the world that wakes up on a given morning and says, gee, today's the day I hope I pull somebody over for a minor traffic offense. They get out and they run and they point a gun at me. And I have to shoot. There's no cop in the world that wakes up hoping that's the day. And again, maybe it'll turn out that Racine police did something wrong. Some people are asking, why are there no body cameras? I don't think they have body. They don't. My understanding is they don't use body cameras in Racine. Um, some pe- places do. Some places don't. There's. I candidly have always supported body cameras because I think it it gets rid of a lot of frivolous or false complaints against the police, but I don't think they use them in Racine as, as a matter of policy. In any event, um, well, I guess more details, but the first reaction by some was not necessarily to mourn, but to protest. Huh. All right, when we come back, why is it really that Milwaukee didn't make the top 20? Stick around. 142, Jeff Wagner. 146. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I have an open-ended question for you. Um, Amazon, which is based in Seattle, 
is looking to open a second headquarters. Now, now Amazon has a presence in Wisconsin. You've got that big, you know, fulfillment center and stuff they have in uh, the southern part of our li- part of our listening area. But they, they're looking to build a second headquarters. Um, they say that this would create up to fifty thousand jobs wherever it builds its newest hub. They plan to invest five billion dollars in development, and it's it's a big deal. Um, they're looking for things like. More than a million residents, proximity to an airport, manageable commutes, diverse demographics, connectivity, local schools churning out potential employees. 238 cities and regions applied. And they announced the the final 20 this week. Atlanta, Austin, Boston, Chicago, Columbus, Ohio, Dallas, Denver, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Miami, Montgomery County, Maryland, which is D.C., Nashville, Newark, New York, Northern Virginia, which is also D.C., Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Raleigh, Toronto, Washington. Milwaukee was, let's see, the 238 bids. Milwaukee was one of the 218 cities, areas, regions that did not make make the cut. And, um, again, most of the cities... Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, Philadelphia, um, Washington. Again, most of them, Dallas, Denver, most of them much, much larger cities. But um, Columbus, Ohio made the list. Indianapolis made the list. Nashville, Tennessee made the list. Raleigh, North Carolina, um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I necessarily think of Raleigh and Milwaukee as being comparable. But that's the list of the 20. 414-799-1620. This is an open-ended question. Why did Milwaukee not make the list? I mean, obviously, if you're looking for the, the really big cities, you know, we're not Boston, we're not Chicago, we're not Atlanta, we're not Dallas, we're not Philadelphia, we're not Toronto, we're not New York. You get that. But why... Why didn't Milwaukee make the list with Columbus or Indianapolis or, or Nashville? What's going on, and, and, and why didn't we compete with this? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a theory, but I'm curious as to what yours is. We discuss next. It's 149. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 151, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I think tongue-in-cheek, one of our texters says, I know why Amazon didn't come to Wisconsin, didn't come to Milwaukee. Let's blame Scott Walker. No, I, I don't think that's it. 414-799-1620. We were not one of the top 20 cities. Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Why do you think that happened? Well, no surprise at all. We just got Foxconn, and what were the headlines was that we we have to get people from Illinois to come up here and take these jobs. And are these really good jobs? I mean, all we heard from the, uh, right. with our political environment right now, they're talking about these are not good jobs. Is it really good for the city? And you know, we only, as the size of our city, we, we're already looking for people to fill a, uh, a Foxconn plant into a year or two. Yep. Yep. So we're short of people. It's not a big surprise to me. No, I, no, thanks. No, see, I, I, it, it's not, a, we weren't. The, the truth of the matter is, and I understand that there's people in the media around here who, who kind of guppied on this story, I, I don't think Milwaukee ever got any serious cons- consideration. Again, if, if you look at the, t- the top 20, 15 are, are regions that are a lot larger than us, just a, a lot 
larger, more people to, to draw from, from. So then you can say, okay, Jeff, well, why, why Columbus? Well, I mean, okay, Columbus, two million in the metropolitan area. So metropolitan area, kind of a similar sort of size. But, you know, what, what's, what does, what does Columbus, Ohio have that Milwaukee, Wisconsin does it? Well, Columbus has, um, Ohio State University. And, you know, there, there's other students that, uh, there's other schools that are surrounding there as well. But that's, Columbus is, in, in many respects, it's kind of like Madison. So you, you have the educated workforce to draw from. Now, at the end of the day, I, I don't necessarily, I'd be shocked if, if they go to Columbus. Indianapolis, the same thing. Indianapolis has been trying to recreate itself as, as, a, as a technological hub for the last several years. And Indianapolis, again, metro area, 2 million. I mean, the, the city itself, 855,000. But two million in the metropolitan area, and I think you know they're seeing that. Plus a number of universities. Now I got, I understand that we have Marquette and you have UWM, but that's one of the things they were looking for. On on top of that, I think you would be naive if you would not if you didn't consider not only you know educated workforce, but if you didn't consider the other factors that are there. When when you think, for example of crime. And I think so much of this comes back to that. When you think about quality of life and all, um, gee, the, the Milwaukee, you know, the city of Milwaukee, carjackings uh, abound, you know, you've got the unacceptable levels of crime. You don't think of that necessarily when you hear Columbus or when you hear Indianapolis. Now, I understand that if you go to New York or you go to Chicago um, or you go to Philadelphia or some of these other places, yes, then you're going to be dealing with the large crime that you have in, in urban areas. But, but, you know, Milwaukee certainly is in that category as well. 414-799-1620. That's, that's kind of my, and, and I don't think we were ever seriously a player in, in this at all. I, but I heard somebody, I think it might have been in our news this morning, morning news, somebody was saying, well, you know, part of the problem is that there's, there's not a transportation infrastructure, to which I roll my eyes and say, I mean, give me a break, really? You know, maybe maybe that is... You know, one reason, but that's reason number 105 out of the top, you know, 105 reasons why Amazon didn't pick Milwaukee. Let's talk to Dave in Grafton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, I agree uh, to a point, uh, Scott Walker, because we now have a, a unemployment rate below 3%. Um, but really, I think the, the reasons are failing schools, high crime rate, um all the same reasons that people are moving out of the city of Milwaukee into uh, mm-hmm. suburbs. Um, you know, if I know they want to attract, uh, you know, younger people, but some of these workers are going to be supporting families, and they need a safe environment, and they need an efficient right. and effective school system for their kids. And, and right. I just think Milwaukee has challenges in both areas that makes it unattractive. And some Which the, you know what, David, I, I'll let you finish. But you know, I, I think you're right. One of that's one of the things that that's why Foxconn has the potential, and I say potential, to be such a, a game changer because here you have this huge investment that's there, and I, I think it, it it has the potential to go a long way towards maybe making us a, a technology hub that would make us more attractive to these other places. But that's we're not there yet, and that's why all these people who just hate Scott Walker, who keep wanting to see Foxconn fail, I just want to shake them and say, you know, what are you thinking of? Why are you rooting against this region? 
region because maybe if Foxconn takes off, you will see you know us become attractive to a place like Amazon moving forward. Well, potentially, potentially. Um, but again, again, Tom Barrett has got to solve basic service um, deficiencies in the city right. of Milwaukee. When he's closing fire stations and laying off police, um, that does not make for a good environment for a new company to move into the city. Right. Thanks for going. Exactly. Now, I mean, I understand you can say, oh, maybe this is why we need to have the trolley or transit. I, I Obviously, being able to get workers to the job is is always going to be a factor that you're going to have when you're trying to decide where to locate a business. I, I get that. And, again, maybe you look at Milwaukee and say, well, you know, we, we've got buses here and we don't have one of the fancy, like, light rail systems like they have, you know, somewhere else. But the truth of the matter is... Well, right now we don't have, in my opinion, we don't have the population base to support that type of stuff. Yes, in Chicago you're going to have the, you know, you've got the L train. In New York you've got the subways. You've got the metro in Washington, D.C. We don't have that issue right now. I don't know the transportation is the factor. There's a lot of other stuff that's going on. But at the end of the day, you know, maybe Foxconn can help change all that. Terry in Wauwatosa. Terry, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, yes. Um, I drive past the Fulfillment Center in Kenosha just about every two weeks or so, and they've had a now-hiring banner up on that building ever since it opened. They right. haven't even filled the jobs for the Fulfillment Center. Why would they think they would fill however many more jobs they're going to bring to an area? Right, and especially knowing that you've got Foxconn coming in that says they're going to hopefully bring 12,000 jobs plus all the attendant stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's like where where is the workforce going to come from, at least right now? Yeah, yeah and I don't blame them. I mean, if you're trying to hire people for a fulfillment center and you can't do that, why would you bring 50,000 more jobs in? Right. No, I, again, thanks. For, I mean, and the truth of the matter is... Milwaukee was never going to be seriously considered for this. Just like, you know, we, we talk about expanding the convention center. Well, okay, that, that that's fine. Maybe you do that, but you're not you're not going to get the big conventions. They're going to be going to Las Vegas or they're going to be going to Orlando. There's always going to be limitations. Okay, we're going to switch gears in the next hour of the program. Why is that duck on the airplane? Is there anything wrong with best friends? At least one school district, actually a lot of school districts, seem to think so. And then, of course, Pop Culture Corner. It's all coming up. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, this is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, you are a baseball fan, I know. Yes. I think the games are interminably long. What about the idea of stopping the catchers from being able to go out over and over again and talk to pitchers? I'm fine with it. Me too. Me too. I I just... there's all sorts. Of, I'm, I don't know how I feel about like pitch clocks and stuff. But as somebody who goes to more than my share of games, sure. some of these games are, are just painful to be at mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. it's it's two and a half hours in and you're in the fifth inning or something. It's nuts. Right. No, this is a great idea. Go ahead and do it. I know the players don't want to do it, and there's some right. gamesmanship there and all of that. But, but. There, there. I agree. It's, there is no reason why the catcher, you know, every three pitches has to call time out and walk out and talk to the guy, the pitcher. There, there's no reason for that. They just want to warm up the guy in the pen. That's right, what they're doing, right? Or delay, or or right, or they're get the signal straight or yeah, whatever. Right, right, well, that's right. what you're supposed to do before the game. I'm, yeah, exactly. Okay, you're professionals for goodness sakes. Yeah. I mean, how many choices do you have? You throw the fastball, you throw the slider, whatever. <laughs> okay, I digress, but that's it. I mean, it. Well, 
I don't digress. I, it's just it's from a, an attendance perspective too at baseball. Um, you go to these weeknight games, and look, I don't have kids, so I don't have that issue. But you know, Eric, you do. I mean, I can just I, I I've been at these games where okay, so they start at seven ten. You take your kids. All right, you know, and by you know nine thirty, you're still only in the fifth oh, inning. The geez. kids can't sit that long, right? right. And then they don't want to leave. But if you stay for the whole game, they're miserable the next day. They're right. monsters, you know. So you need their sleep and all that. Right? No, exactly. Ah. I mean, I think there's there is no reason why you can't play baseball games in two and a half hours. There's just there's just not. So all right, all if right. you and I were king, we'd solve that. There ought to be a law. I have. Yeah, no. Uh, Gru is producing a show. I've told this story before, but I was being mocked by people from Britain because I was sitting in a bar in Las Vegas, and there's we're watching these college football games, and college football games nowadays go on forever, three and a half plus hours, not unusual. And we were watching this game, and the, these people are saying, we just don't understand you Americans, because in general, you're so impatient. How can you put up with this type of stuff? And then they were throwing up soccer at me. They said, at least, look, we, we understand you guys think soccer is boring, but soccer, it's two 45-minute halves. There's a 15-minute halftime and, and maybe a little stoppage time. He said, you're done in two hours. You can actually plan your life. You don't have to say, okay, you're going to have to spend three and a half hours to watch the game or three and a half hours to watch baseball, for goodness sakes. Get your acts together. Okay. Um, is Delta Airlines going to get a, a backlash? All right. This is under... It's it's sort of an interesting thing because there's two aspects of the law, and it gets confused a lot. The Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA, um, calls says that a service animal is defined as as a dog, or in some case a miniature horse. That's a whole other story. But to be a service animal, you know, it, it has to be a dog, and it has to be trained specifically, uh, typically to assist somebody with a disability, normally to assist someone who is deaf or or blind. So that's the ADA. And under the Americans with Disability Act, if you have a service animal, which is going to be a dog 99% of the time, you know, people... You, you can't say that the dog can't come into a particular restaurant. You can't deny somebody, you know, public housing because of, of the dog, things like that, if if the dog is a legitimate service dog. Um, it's gotten muddy, though, because back in 1986, they passed this, Congress passed a separate law called the Air Carrier Access Act, um, and that created not a service animal, but a comfort animal. And, and what that said is that a comfort animal um, could accompany a disabled passenger um, on a plane as long as there was a, a, doctor, a doctor's note unless the animal obstructed an aisle or an area needed for emergency evacuation. So not a service animal, but a comfort animal. And it didn't just limit it to dogs. So what has happened over the last number of years is you've had people, number one, who want to try to get their pets to fly for free. So they, they call their pets comfort animals. And number two, you've had people who are... I don't know, bringing all sorts of weird type of animals onto the planes. You, you've heard, um, I'm sure there was a story, remember what, they brought a giant pig onto the plane. One of the stories I'm looking at is they they brought a um, service duck onto the, the plane. 
um, and you know travel with them. Well, of course, this creates all sorts of issues because most of these types of animals aren't house trained to begin with. So you've got in the case the pig was how can I say this nicely? The pig was crapping all over the plane, which caused issues. Um, you have like the duck biting people. Um, and, and moreover, you got other passengers who are going, I don't want to sit next to a duck or, or a pig or, you know, anyways, people are allergic to cats or, or whatever. But this idea of a comfort animal, somebody who would help somebody who I don't know is, I don't know, a little bit disturbed about flying or a little tense about flying. And like I say, I think in most cases it's a scam to try to, you know, get your pet to be able to fly for free. On top of that, this entire, culture of what I'm calling the doctor feel goods, you know, came into play where, you know, for 50 bucks or 100 bucks over the internet, you know, you could send in your money and some quack, no pun intended, doctor would send you a note saying, yes, you needed a a comfort animal. And it's created a whole problem. And so the federal government is looking at what do you do with this Air Carrier Act because it's clearly being abused. Well, interesting, yesterday, um, Delta Airlines said, you know, we're not going to wait for the federal government. We are changing our rules with passengers who are flying not with the service animals, not with the dogs, but rather with their emotional support animals. And they say Delta says we've been having problems with people who are we think are abusing this and they're disrupting flights. So um, interestingly, um, airlines estimate that there's about 700 of these emotional support animals that people try to bring on the planes every, every day. So starting March 1st, Delta says we're cracking down on on this, and we're going to be requiring detailed documentation confirming the safety and necessity of the animal, and you're going to have to provide it to us 48 hours before departure. The passenger must provide a a veterinary health form or vaccination record for either category of animals. For these so-called emotional support animals, the passenger also has to provide a letter signed by a doctor or licensed medical health professional stating the passenger's need for the animal and a signed letter stating the animal is trained to behave without a kennel. Delta says this new policy is our first step in better protecting those who fly with Delta with a more thoughtful screening process. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would describe what Delta is doing as a good first step. Actually, I think what needs to happen is I think there needs to be a lot more done with the law itself because, candidly, Airplanes aren't made to have pigs travel on them. They're not made to have ducks travel on them. I think what we should be doing is this whole notion of emotional support animals. I think you need to severely restrict this. It's one thing if you've got a disability and you can't see or you can't hear and you need the service dog. But this idea that, oh, I get a little bit nervous flying, so I want to have my pot pig come with me. Nuts to that. I mean, I think other passengers have rights as well. And if you can't fly without having your pig with you, maybe that means you should be driving. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I support Delta 110%. Are you glad to see airlines cracking down on what I think is something that is incredibly abused? And and like I say, this is coming from somebody who, who is a dog lover. I, I am. 
and you know I, I haven't taken we haven't taken my dog on a flight yet at some point in time we'll do it but I'm not expecting the dog to fly for free even though the dog you know warms my heart even though my dog warms my heart and gives me a lot of comfort I'm not going to expect that dog to fly for free I will you know pay for a ticket or pay what I ever have to do but I'm not expecting that dog to fly for free 4147991620 should we be cracking down on these quote unquote emotional support animals I think Delta has a good first step we discuss next if you're on the line please hold on it's 217 Jeff Wagner WTMJ <laughs> 20, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Chris texts, I love animals. Our family has two cats. I would not want a pig or any other animal sitting next to me while on a flight. People need to grow up. Um, Michelle asks, what are the rights of people with allergies? Yeah, that, that that's kind of this balancing act that, that's there. Look, and I understand attachment to pets, but this is getting out of control. Let's talk to um, Rudy in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, good afternoon. What do you think? Well, I, you know, <clears throat> I train therapy dogs, and unfortunately, uh, there are people out there who are abusing it. They're abusing, uh, you know, using a dog. Uh, I also work at a place where people bring in dogs for comfort. And, you know, it's just, like you said, you know, they're, they're, you know I mean, Delta wants to, you know, have verification and all that. Because there are a lot of people out there who are just saying, well, I want to bring my dog along. Well, my dog's 110 pounds, right. and it'd be, it'd be a little hard for me to haul him on an airplane and say, you know, I love my dog. I miss my dog. I don't want to be without my dog. Well, right. guess what? Unless you need, unless you really seriously need that dog, you know, I think it's, you know, it has to be verified nowadays. Well, right. And, and what, what has happened is, again, there's this cottage industry of what I'm describing as the Dr. Feelgoods who... We'll, we'll, we'll write the letter. You can do it on the Internet. They never meet you. You send off 85 bucks to Arizona, and then you say, hey, this is I, I get anxious if I can't fly without my duck. And then they send you this thing back certifying the duck as being a, you know, a comfort and ther- a comfort animal. And, and it again, it's it minimizes the, the very real situations um, where you do have people that need it. But the system is being scammed and it's not fair to anybody. That's correct. Right. That's correct. Right. Again, th- thanks for calling. The system is being scammed, and it, you've got to tighten it up. I mean, really, you're going to bring your therapy, your pig, onto the plane? Well, sorry. Let's see. Um, Delta Comfort Animals. Here's a text. I fly Delta 160,000 miles annually, and, yes, passenger take, or passengers are taking advantage of the comfort animal policy. Three weeks ago, a woman brought her comfort dog onto the plane, and the man did not get the dog its own seat on a completely booked flight okay the problem was that the dog was about 45 to 50 pounds and could not fit under the seat in front of her she delayed the flight by her antics but was eventually accommodated i think it was a total abuse of the other passenger's kindness if you want to have the dog with you in the cabin fine have the dog in the appropriate carrier and and pay you know pay to to bring the dog along all right that's fine Let's see another text. The next thing Delta needs to do is to address individuals claiming to be disabled so they can have the bulkhead seats on the plane. On my December flight to the U.K., a woman and her son both claimed to be disabled and were wheeled to the plane in wheelchairs so they could have the bulkhead seats. The problem was they had forgotten their deception and walked off the flight when it landed. By the time the flight attendant complained to the other flight attendant, this type of thing happens all the time. That's, there's a special space in you-know-where 
for somebody who pretends that they can't walk to get, again, an exit row seat, for example, or a bulkhead seat, and, and then they don't need it? That's like the people who park in the handicapped parking spot. I, I saw that happen yesterday. There was this... And I, I, you always got to be careful about confronting people because you don't know why they have might have you. You don't know, you know, whether they're really disabled. You can't tell necessarily. But there was this woman; she couldn't have been more than twenty-two years old. Pulled into a disabled spot because it was close to where she wanted to go, and jumped out and kind of sprinted in. No tags. I had no question in my mind. This lady, this young woman, was not disabled. And I thought, you know. It's just there's a special spot, and you know where, for, for those type of people. 414-799-1620. Dave in Milwaukee. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hello. Hey, I got a, I have a sister who has, who has uh, her dogs with little vests, and I think they're either lying about their – I think theirs are actually service dogs they made up a bunch of stuff about. My niece is supposed to be deaf. And so she trots her dog around with a little blue vest saying that, you know, she's deaf. And I think my sister's supposed to have severe diabetes or something, you know. And they have these little, little vests for the dogs. Mm-hmm. And they fly all over the country going to these dog shows. And, uh, what's ludicrous to me is that, you know, they're swimming in money. They can easily afford mm-hmm. to fly the dogs, you know, in their crates. But I can't believe the airlines, you know, does nothing. To allow the people like you know my own sibling to do this crap, you know. <laughs> well, I, I mean, again, like- again, again, I don't know. I mean, service dogs uh, have, have a very specific definition. That, like I say, that's like there's a lot of confusion. And, and typically, when you have a service dog, I mean, you do have the dog that goes through extensive training. It's the seeing eye dog. It's a dog that's designed to assist people who uh, again are deaf or something like that. And and I don't think anybody. I certainly wouldn't argue that that's not completely and totally appropriate. But it's this emotional support stuff. And again, it's the lack of the lack of any sort of controls over this. Are there people that have legitimate medical psychological conditions that, you know, need need to have the animal? Well, I I guess there's some of that. But at the same time, there's also, like I say, all these people that have signed up with the Dr. Feelgood who send off the money and get the letter back. And and almost any animal that you have, any pet that you're going to have, is going to be a comfort animal. It is going to provide you with some degree of emotional support. I love going home at night, and my dog comes running up and jumps, and she's glad to see me. All right? She's glad to see me. That. That makes me feel good, okay? But that doesn't mean that I can't get on an airplane and fly unless I also have the dog with me. Just saying. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner. In any event, Delta is trying to get ahead of the federal regulations. They're saying if you're going to try to to say that these are service dogs, service animals, you're going to have to provide us with documentation in advance and also veterinary certificates showing that they're They've got their shots and all that. I think that is a good first step. And for the people who have legitimate needs, they should be able to do it. For the scammers, well, too bad. Buy a ticket. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We've reached that point in the week where we put away some of the heavy lifting and try to 
have a little bit of fun as we go into the weekend. I call the segment Pop Culture Corner. Sometimes we talk about movies, sometimes books, sometimes TV, sometimes cars, sometimes travel, lots of times food. Uh, today's topic kind of comes from the world of sports. And by the way, we are live streaming this on Facebook Live. So you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ and you can see the goings on in the studio. I wore one of my very best Margaritaville shirt, uh, sweatshirts for the event. My wife even looked at it, made sure I didn't have any stains on it. So okay. she's like, you wouldn't notice that. So um, you can check us out on Facebook Live. Um, over the weekend, last Sunday, I was, uh, we, we went, my, my niece went back on, on Monday. She went back to college. She goes to school in San Diego. So we, we went out and saw, saw her for, for dinner before she went back. And then it happened to be um, my wife's granddaughter. So I guess my step-granddaughter. It was, it was Gracie's 14th birthday. So we, we stopped over at their house. And so we, we went over there. And I got there just in time for about the last seven or eight minutes of of the Vikings-Saints game. So I, I'd been kind of listening to a little bit of on the radio, but I, I hadn't actually watched the game. So, you know, we're over at the house, and um, my, I guess, stepson, Darren, and I, we while everybody else is, like, celebrating Gracie's birthday, we're watching this football game. And, and I admit, I, I have no love lost for, for the Vikings. If the Vikings make the Super Bowl, who they should really be thanking is Anthony Barr, who's the guy that had the cheap shot on Aaron Rodgers that knocked him out. But I admit, I, I'm rooting against the Vikings. And the Saints make this great comeback. And so we're, we're watching the game, and it, it looks like the, the Saints are, it looks like the Saints have the game completely and totally, you know, wrapped up. And then everybody knows what happens. They have this long pass. Stephon Diggs, who's one of the wide receivers, catches it inbounds. There's only a couple seconds left. There's no timeouts. All the defensive back has to do is just grab him and hold him, and the game is going to be over. But instead, he puts his shoulder down and goes and tries to knock him down and completely whiffs. It would all. It was almost like, now I'm not saying this happened, but it was almost like you, you had money on the game and you wanted to, you know, just kind of affect the outcome. It was that bad a play. Now, I don't believe that, that was actually the case. But then you've got the guy who catches it and he goes in to score and the Vikings end up winning instead of losing and the crowd goes nuts. And that's all everybody talks about that. Even though I'm not a Vikings fan, I have to admit that if I was a Vikings fan and I had been at that game, that might be the most incredible unexpected, amazing occurrence that I think I had ever seen. As it stands, I mean, I I think, just again, I'm not a Viking fan, so I I just, I can't, it didn't really, like, resonate other than, my gosh, you know, how how could something like that happen? But, I mean, it's it's kind of on a par, except it was in the playoffs with, for example, that that Hail Mary pass that uh, Aaron Rodgers threw, you know, on Thanksgiving Day against Detroit a couple years ago. One of these type of spectacular plays. And I do admit that, again, even not as a Viking fan, I'm watching this thinking, man, how cool would it have been there to see that in person? And that's kind of the thinking behind Pop Culture Corner this week. You had to be there. Um, There are I'm a I'm a big sports fan. My wife kind of says, "Well, you know, when people say, well, what does he watch on TV?'" and I'll say, "Well, sports. What kind of sports?" and she'll say, "Well, anything that's on." And there might be some merit to that. I guess there's worse habits to have. But it's one thing to watch stuff on television or to listen to the broadcasts on the radio, and and that's kind of cool. But there's something special 
about being at a sporting event because you never know when it's going to be a great. You never know when something great is going to happen. I have gone to hundreds of Major League Baseball games over the course of my life. I've never seen a no-hitter. But, but you know, one of the cool things, and I've always wanted to, every time I go to a ball game, I think, okay, maybe today is the day that I see that that no-hitter, that I see that perfect game or whatever. And it's one of the things that keeps me coming back. But there's been a lot of great stuff that happens at sporting events, and it's one thing to watch it on television or listen to it on the radio. It's another thing to be there. So for Pop Culture Corner this week, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I call the segment, You Had to Be There. What's what's the greatest? And you can define greatest however you want. What's the greatest sporting event that you were ever at? And, and, and maybe it's that spectacular last-minute play. Maybe it's the guy catches that pass when everybody thinks they're going to lose and turns around and runs and scores the touchdown and your team wins, even if it's the Vikings. Maybe it's, I was there that day that so-and-so threw the no-hitter or so-and-so, you know, hit the four home runs or whatever. Um, maybe it was just the day that, you know, your team won the championship. But the greatest sporting event that you have ever been at, 414-799-1620. Um, as always in these situations, I ask people call in early because I want to try to get to as many calls as I possibly can, and our phone lines tend to jam up. And also, don't overthink it. Tend to go with your first instinct because I guess most times when you think, gee, what was the coolest sporting event that I've ever been at, it probably comes first to mind. Okay, we're back with your calls in just a moment. Again, we're also live streaming. You can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WT. TMJ, you had to be there. The greatest sporting event that you have ever attended. It's 240. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Sears has left the Southridge Mall. What do Glendale, Glendale, what do Greendale Village leaders have planned to replace the iconic store? Scott Warris and our dear friend Colleen Boland. She's back, and they're in for John and Melissa. They'll share the latest at 3.50 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. It's always great to see Colleen. Okay, Pop Culture Corner. This is sort of in honor. It might not be the right phrase for it, but that amazing catch that the Minnesota Vikings player made and the New Orleans Saints player misses the tackle. They score a touchdown. Minnesota advances to the NFC Conference Championship. What's the most amazing sporting event you were at? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bill in Green Lake. Hi, Bill. You're on WTMJ. Bill. What do you think? What's, what's yours? Mine is the Super Bowl that Favre won, the first one. It was just the atmosphere of inside the stadium, outside the stadium. It was just the best thing that I've ever been to in my life. Uh, that was, was that in New Orleans? Is that where that one was? In New Orleans. Yeah. Against the Patriots. Right, right. Yeah, no, thank, I, you know, it's, thanks for, I, I'm kicking myself that I didn't go to that game. I, I just, I just, I don't know why. I, I, it was one of those where I kept thinking, oh, you know, they're going to be back, you know, I'll have other chances. And of course, they did go back the next year and lost that second game. And then, so when the last one rolled around, you know, 2010, 2011, I was there for sure. 414 799 Ron sends me a text. The Sunday game clincher against the California Angels, 1982, you could not hear yourself think, and Reggie Jackson went home a loser. You know, and I think of, when I think of those type of events, that would definitely be one of them. 
Um, maybe, maybe the top one. I mean, I remember I, I actually went to all three of those, those games. At the time, it was the California Angels. The Brewers in 82 lost the first two games in California, came back. I remember I actually took public transportation. I ran. I was living downtown at the time. I rode the bus from downtown out to County Stadium, and we were with a bunch of California Angels fans, and they were the smuggest people, and they lost three games in a row. And that, that last game when you have the ground ball to Yount, and he throws out uh, he throws the ball to Cecil Cooper, and, and the Brewers win, that was amazing. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Tim in Plymouth. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Um, I think for me it would be the 2011 National League Division Series um, Brewers against the Diamondbacks. Where they won Um, in that final game in extra innings. Yep, the game five. I believe there was two outs. Niger Morgan was up to bat and hit the uh, liner to bring them in. And, yeah, the crowd just went crazy, and the rush and the adrenaline you get when you're there live seeing it is just unlike anything it, it, else. Right. You, you, it's it's cool to watch it on TV, but, you know, I, I was at that game as well. I was there with my, my best friend Evan and his son Dean, and we just went nuts. And, I mean, it was just this huge roar from the crowd. You know, and it's interesting, Tim, the thing that I always remember is we were, like, in the second deck, and it's it's walking out in the concourse and just Walking down as people are leaving with the, and just people screaming and all that noise and stuff. It was just, it was just this amazing vibe for want of a better it, phrase that you got from being there. It was, yeah. I was there with my parents and my wife and shortly after the game had ended, I kind of took off to go to the, by the dugout where the players were all right. celebrating and my wife couldn't keep up with me and. <laughs> Ended up meeting her out in the parking lot, and to this day, I still hear it from my parents, my wife. <laughs> and that, that you abandoned them all. Yeah, I get that. No, but you got caught up in the moment. No, I get. Got I think caught I, up in the moment. You know, it, it, it's interesting because um, you know the Brewers that year went on to to lose to it was the Cardinals. I think they ended up losing to, but still, it didn't matter because that was such a that was such a great thing to win that playoff series. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to uh, let's see, Kurt in. Whitefish Bay. Kurt, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Okay, the the, the most amazing sporting event you were ever at. Well, like I had said, that it, many uh, may not uh, call this a sporting event, but to me, if I grew up uh, really into pro wrestling, okay, and about 20 years ago, I was at a WCW match down at the U.S. Cellular. Right. And, you know, we watch these on TV, and for those that are fans of it, but when you're actually there, do you really feel the excitement and the adrenaline of the crowd? I mean, you had uh, right. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Goldberg, Bret Hart, Kurt Henning, uh-huh. Chris Benoit, Malenko. You know, all those guys that that you really enjoyed watching, and you're actually seeing them. Uh-huh. So yours was so yours was a wrestling match. Okay, well that's it. I'm not going to mock you. I get that. I used to go to wrestling <laughs> matches all the time. No, I, I, I get it with all the, with all the stars that were there. Let me see. Let me go to my text line because we've got a ton of them. I've been. Uh, I have not been as good as I have about reading them. Uh, Packers playoff game at Lambeau Field against the Lions. Barry Sanders, one-yard rushing. Um, 1973, when the Bucks stopped the Lakers' 33-game winning streak. Uh, yeah, that was it. A couple people, um, including Adam, texting Robin Yount's 3,000th hit. That would have been... That would have been an amazing one. I was there at... I was not there at that game. I was there at several games 
along the way when Paul Molitor, you know, had his sitting streak that was going that year and wasn't it the last one where that faded? 414-799-1620. Julian O'Connor Walk. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Hi Jeff. Uh, mine's a little bit more personal. Okay. Um, uh, I watched my two sons, one in 2014, one in 2017, both win, uh, win events at the state track meet after surviving cancer. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> how, how cool was that, huh? Yeah, it was, it was really cool. Uh, that's tremendous. Thanks for calling. I, I understand we're you know we're talking about ones that where we're kind of an an uninvested spectator. You were invested, and that is absolutely tremendous. Okay, Dan in Fond du Lac. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'd say the ice bowl. You okay? I, was a, sophomore, uh, you, I you, was a sophomore in high school, and I went to the ice bowl with my older brother and my father and one of my father's friends. Okay, now you got to understand, pal. Everybody claims to have been at the ice bowl, but there were only like fifty or sixty thousand people there. Were you really there? I was there, Jeff. Uh, my pair. We've had season tickets for the Packers since the stadium opened. Uh, along with the ice bowl, I was at the '65 championship game when they beat Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I was at the game, and I think it was '64 or three. When Don Chandler kicked the fuel goal against the Baltimore Colts, death against yep. the Colts, I yep. was at that game as well, and that was a game where they extended afterwards. They extended the uprights up farther because there was a question whether the ball was actually good or not. Are, are you? Were, did you know in advance it was going to be as cold as it was, or did it kind of take you by surprise? It kind of took us by surprise, and I remember my my father's friend who went with us. He was our family dentist. He was a good family friend. And he was a, a Marquette graduate and a very dapper, debonair man with a long camel hair coat and the fedora <laughs> right. and, the, you know, and the whole nine yards. And, the, and he came over to the game that we came over. It was about nine, nine o'clock in the morning, you know, before we went up to Green Bay for the game. And he was dressed like that. And my mother <laughs> took one look at him and said, you will freeze to death before the end of the first quarter. Right. And we outfitted him with extra big, heavy boots <laughs> and a coat and a parka and everything else. And when we got home after the game, he said to my mom, he says, you saved my life. <laughs> Thanks for Now, I was not at the Ice Bowl, but this is a true story. The first Packers game I ever went to was the game before that. It was at County Stadium, and they played the Los Angeles Rams. And we had, we had just moved to Milwaukee. I mean, we moved to Milwaukee when I was like nine years old. And <clears throat> my father didn't take me, but... But somehow somebody he knew had tickets, and so I went along with him. And, I mean, I remember sitting in bleachers in what was like the right field the the right field bleachers, which was one of the end zones, and the Packers ended up winning. And I remember it being really, really cold that weekend too. So I was not at the ice bowl, but I was at the game before that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Craig in Kenosha. Craig, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi. I was just talking about the County Stadium too. I was just listening to you. I was at the very last game at County Stadium. It was against Atlanta, and it was pretty cold there that day. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember. And, you know, I didn't even realize it, but I had my winter jacket was Atlanta colors, red and black. And I'm sitting there rooting for the Packers. But anyways, <laughs> um, Brett Favre was right in front of us. We were sit- sitting, you know, like the 20 seats up or so. And uh, he uh, ran it in for a right. touchdown. And I think it was to win the game. Correct right. me if I'm wrong. No, you're you're exactly right. That game. was he yeah. ran the ball in from about the 12 yard line as time runs out, and they won. No, no, you're 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 exactly right. And that was that was kind of like the that was sort of the last game that was there. Let's talk to Clark in St. Francis. Clark, you're on WTMJ. Hello. 
Hi. Hi, Jeff. Ooh, you're the most amazing game. You had to be there. Yes. Robin Young's 3,000 hits. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been one. Yeah. 1989. <sighs> that would have been. We got the, everything signed by him because it was our first year anniversary. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that is that would have been so cool, and I, I mean, I I was not there that night, um, but it, that would have been so very very cool. I'm sorry, we got jam phone lines are kind of up against the clock. WrestleMania 30, the Undertaker losing the no hitter thrown at Miller Park in 2006, uh, Redskins game after 9/11, first Minnesota Wild game and a hat trick, uh, 1987 uh, game six, Twins and Cardinals, the World Series. That that again, it, it is the cool. It's one of the reasons why I love going to sporting events because you never ever know when that something special is going to happen. Look, a lot of times it's just it's maybe it's it's fun, it's whatever, you know, your your team wins, your team loses, but every once in a while, and that's the cool thing about sports, you never know when you might walk in there and it might be something really really special. Okay, thanks for participating. You can still check out this broad, you can watch the replay on Facebook Live and continue to participate there. It's been Pop Culture Corner. We've got uh, Wisconsin's afternoon news coming up next. Colleen Bolin is back and Scott Warris. Stick around. It's 2:55. This is Jeff Wagner.